East Tennessee School of Preaching was renamed a few months ago as Southeast Institute of Biblical Studies. They are still accomplishing the same work that they intended to do as a school of preaching. Uh, they've just simply changed their name to try to be more, uh, to reach out more to people in other areas of the country rather than in just in East Tennessee. Their lectureship began this morning and uh, they will continue through Wednesday evening and it's going to be my privilege to speak on Tuesday morning on the subject of serving with humility. So you get to be the guinea pig to see if the lesson works or not and I would assume that if you think it really doesn't work well that you'll tell me tonight as I as you go out so that I can make uh, uh, arrangements between now and Tuesday morning. Uh, I will tell you the theme of their lectureship is Lord make me a servant and I think that's certainly a very great title uh, to represent a great part of lessons. Augustine who was a famous church father said it was pride that changed angels to devils and it is humility that makes men into angels. If you think about that and ponder it just a little bit, you can see the wisdom of what he had to say. If you go to the Old Testament prophet, to Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walking with God humbly. You know, the concept of being a humble servant is not exactly what our society would suggest. In fact, I thought it would probably be good if we were to try to find the top 20 country, companies in our country and to ask each of them, would you give us 10 characteristics of being a great leader. My guess is, is that no one of them would put humility in the top list of great qualities. And yet our Lord did. What we're going to look at is really three aspects of serving with humility and then finally make an application of Scripture. And to me, after looking at this whole subject, it really boils down to these three things. Number one, the perception of self. How do I look at me? Number two, perception of the Savior. How do I look at Jesus? Number three, perception of service. What kind of job do I have? And how do I look at the job that I have? And then to apply some of this to us, and I will try to do my best to keep this within the allotted time. What does it mean to be humble? If I were to ask you, how would you define it? And how would you use the Bible to define it? Well, let me give you some passages which I think that you can look at and say, now that's it. The first one is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and then we'll drop down to verse 16. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one 
a measure of faith. Humility is when I think too high of myself, too much of myself. Dropping down to verse 16, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Humility is when I am not too wise in my own opinion. I don't believe that I am smarter, more talented, more capable than anybody else. You see, the problem that Paul was dealing with is that some people think too highly of themselves. They think too high of their opinion. They think too high of who they are. In Galatians 6 and verse 3, I really like the way Paul expressed it to them. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I remember when I was a child, my sister and I, like most brothers and sisters, would... I guess you'd say fight or banter with one another. And I remember my sister would say, you think you're somebody, don't you? And my response would always be to try to make her even a little more angry. I'd say, sure, I'm somebody. I'm a privileged character. But when Paul says this to the Galatians, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, he thinks he's in a position of prominence. In a position where everybody should give him respect. He said when he's nothing, he deceives himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul would write, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. In the context in which Paul is contrasting wisdom versus foolishness. He's talking about this worldly wisdom that has excluded God. And he said, if you think that you're wise, he said, you really need to become a fool. A fool that respects God and one that that is willing to listen and to learn. When Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, he put it very simply in chapter 3 and verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Chapter 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. There are people whose opinion of themselves is I'm a little wiser than you, a little smarter than you. You see, humility is when I am willing to say, someone else may know something I don't know. Someone else may have insight that I haven't gotten. And I'm willing to listen, and I'm willing to learn. But now I will tell you that when you read through the Bible, you will quite often find a person contrasting themselves with someone else. Let me give you a few illustrations of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What Paul is describing is really two different types of people. One who is comparing himself with himself. If I have a ruler here that's supposed to be a one-foot ruler and it only has 11 inches on it, 
And then I say, well, how, how long's a foot? Well, I've got this ruler, and it's 11 inches, so a foot has to be 11 inches. That's foolish. You're not comparing with something that's a standard. And then he says, comparing themselves among themselves. That's when I take someone else, and then I say, well, I'm better than him. But who do we choose? Do we say, I give better than the person who gives the most? No, we don't do that. Do we say, I am more devout than the person who is the most devout? No, we, we, try, we try to find somebody that we know they're better, we're better than they are. And that's who we try to compare or class them. So, and then you get to verse 18, For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. This idea of viewing myself better. Well, you can find a perfect illustration in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told a parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You see his perception of himself? How he looks at himself and he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat himself on the breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You see the comparison that people often will make with someone else? It's very sad, but James chapter 2 gives us a picture of the way people treat other people when they look at them and consider themselves to be better. He said, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom he promised to those who love him. But you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. We all can see someone saying, well, that person over there, they're wearing dirty clothes. They don't have the sophistication I have, so they're not as valuable as me. They're not as good as me. And James says, if that's your view, you've sinned because you have put yourself above that person. When you say to a man, you sit here at my footstool or you stand over there, you are leaving the impression that you are better than he is. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 
was writing to the church about spiritual gifts. And when you think about the spiritual gifts that they possessed, some had the gift of speaking in tongues, others had the gift of interpretation of tongues, others could prophesy, some could work various miracles. And there was a lot of rivalry among them because of those gifts. And what you see in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? This person who says, well, if I can't do this job or I can't have that position, I'm not going to do anything. Drop down to verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. One side says, if I don't get the job I feel like I should have, I'm not going to participate. The other one says that if I'm up here and I've got this greater job, I don't need anybody else. Both of those attitudes are contrary to humility. In Romans 3 and verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they're all under sin. Could the Jews look and say, I'm better than you old Gentiles? No, they couldn't because they were sinners. Could the Gentiles say, well, you Jews, y'all messed it up and we're now the chosen people? No, they can't because all were sinners. You see, God has tried to teach man to learn humility. He's done some things, said some things that really try to help man. Let me give you an illustration or two. You remember the children of Israel? God led them out of the Egyptian bondage. That's the book of Exodus. He also, during that period of wilderness wandering, gave them laws with regards to how they should worship. That's Leviticus. He also gave them a number of various things that they would do. That's the book of Numbers. And then you get to the book of Deuteronomy. That's right before the children of Israel cross over into the promised land. And they look back on that 40-year wandering, and here's what God said to them through Moses. And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. God said the reason why I didn't let you work and I didn't let you make the food that you would eat, I wanted you to learn dependence. And every day they got up, they had to go get the manna. They didn't work for it. They just collected it. They learned dependence on God. Give us this day our daily bread. God said, I did that to teach you humility. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, Paul was a very privileged person. God gave him perhaps as much talent and ability and position as anyone else in the early church. And we read there, And lest I should be exalted above measure 
by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is saying, God was teaching me to be humble, not be proud, not be arrogant. God tries to teach us as well. We're studying on Wednesday evenings from the book of Luke. We just passed through a section in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. God is calling on each of us to humble ourselves to a cross to be able to follow the Lord. Our problem is too often we're deluded by our own estimation of ourselves Revelation 3.17 to the church at Laodicea, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. We look at ourselves with all this independence, with all of this arrogance, and God said, And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I think you've gotten the idea of the perception of self. To be humble means I have to have a proper view of myself. But it also means I have to have a right perception of the Savior. Jesus was and is the perfect example of what humble service is all about. I want you to listen to Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 4 going through verse 11. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, he being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, what he's saying is Jesus had a position, a prominence. He was equal with God. What did he do? He humbled himself to come down to where man was at. He goes on to say, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, of things on the earth and under the earth, and then he says, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But I would say, if I mentioned to you about Jesus showing humility, most of us would say, you've got to go to John 13. When Jesus took the towel and girded himself with it, and he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. 
In John 13, beginning with verse 3 and verse 4, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Dropping down to verse 12. And so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You know when that event occurred. The Lord had gathered the disciples together in that upper room. What you may not know is what's going on among the apostles. You know what's on Jesus' mind. You know he knows he's going to die on the cross. What's on their mind? Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. I believe that this either was right before or right after the Lord's example of washing their feet. If it's right before, it probably prompted the Lord to get up and put the towel around him and wash their feet. If it's right after that, they didn't get it. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest, let him be as your younger. And he who governs is he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am one among you as he who serves. Jesus is saying, look at me, I am serving you. They had to understand that he was the perfect example. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. It's only when you and I realize that the Lord is the real power in what we do, that it's not me, it's, it's Him, can we really appreciate that? And that's the reason why the perception about our Savior is so important. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, Paul said, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers to whom you believe? And as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything or he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Paul said, I did my job. But it was God who gave the increase. It was the Savior. See, our problem sometimes is we're looking at ourselves rather than looking at the Savior properly. Now let's look at the idea of the service for just a moment. 
there's no way that any of us can boast about our service to the Lord. You might say, well, I've done great things. Look at what I have accomplished. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 10. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. I have thought a lot about this lesson in preparation for it. I really think what the Lord said here was important. Here's a young person. He goes out to his job. And the the owner or his supervisor or his boss says to him, I want you to do this. Okay, I've got to... You going to give me a pat on the back now? What do you mean? I'm paying you for your work. Oh, yeah, but I did what you told me to do. Yeah, that's what you were supposed to do. We have this mentality now that... If I do what I'm told to do, I've done something special. And the Lord says, if you have done everything, and none of us have done it all, but if you've done everything, you ought to say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've done just what I was supposed to do. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who makes you to differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did, not, you did indeed receive it, Why do you boast as if you had not received it? Paul asked the Corinthians, What do you have that wasn't given to you? And he says, If it was given to you, why are you boasting as if you did it yourself? The service is God's service. God provided, if you'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, seed for sower and bread for food. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He said, I don't have anything to boast of. In fact, I have something to be ashamed of if I don't do what I was told to do. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of our, us or not of ourselves. He's wanting us to understand that the service is what's important, not those of us who are doing it. But you have to realize that when you talk about a right perception of service, I've got to look at what service does and what it accomplishes. You remember earlier I referred to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about those who were given various gifts And there was a lot of rivalry among the Corinthians about, you know, who gets this gift, who gets that gift, and I want a gift. He said to them, even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. You want to do a good job? Great. Make sure that the reason you're doing it, though, is for the good of the church. The edification of the church. But you know, there's somebody who's hanging their head down and they're saying, well, I just don't have any talent. I just don't have any ability. Somebody just, you know, that's just false humility. Let me give you an illustration. 
In Matthew 25, the Lord gave a parable about talents, talent being a, an amount of money. Five talent man, two talent man, one talent man. And the one who received the one talent is recorded in verses 24 through 26. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I did not scatter seed. He didn't say, well, I understand you don't have much ability. You only got one talent. He said, no, you're a wicked and lazy servant. It's not being humble to refuse to do what you can do and what you've been instructed to do. You see, service is service. Now, I really don't have the time to finish this up. Let me give you something that would be, uh, I guess you would say, uh, something to chew on. I wanted to realize that I will probably be speaking in an audience that will include a lot of elders and mostly preachers. And so I wanted to address specifically how elders view themselves and their service. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6 I'm just going to summarize it to you. He says the elders there didn't do the job they were given to do because they took care of themselves rather than taking care of the flock. Humble service means that you put the needs of the congregation, the needs of God's flock, ahead of your own. Peter says essentially the same thing when he tells them not to be lords over the flock but to be examples. And then when you get to verses 5 and 6, he says... Likewise, you younger submit to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. What he's saying is, elders, look at yourselves and the congregation you lead. Congregation, look at your elders. Give them respect. Be submissive to them. And yes, all of you be submissive to one another. If we're all humble, then things will work well. Preachers have to restrain their ambitions and their tongues. When Paul wrote the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, he talked about some who preached Christ from envy and strife. And he made it clear that it was of selfish ambition in verse 16. Selfish ambition, a desire to be promoted. And then you get to Philippians 2, 3. What does he say? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Don't look at yourself better than they are. Don't try to get one up on somebody. And then in James, you know James chapter 3 is all about the tongue. You get to the first verse, and he's going to say not to be many of you teachers knowing we shall receive the stricter judgment. And then you get down to verses 13 through 18. He's going to ask the question, who is wise and understanding? And he will talk about people who are full of envy and strife 
And he says in verse 16, Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You've got to be motivated by right. Then I just added a few moments ago because it struck me, preachers have to look at preaching as a privilege. Paul would say in Ephesians 3 verse 8, To me who am less than the least of all saints was this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God favored me, he said, to be able to do this. And chapter 15 verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am. All of God's people have to be willing to submit and humble themselves before God. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And then Colossians three twelve through fifteen, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility. I'm just going to bring it to a close here because I've been a little longer than I expected. You and I have to understand that if we want to serve God and serve Him acceptably, we've got to look at ourselves. How do I look at myself? Do I have the right view, the wrong view? I've got to look at the Savior. And then I've got to recognize how powerful and how gracious He has been to me. Look at the service and make sure that I'm doing the right thing for the right reason. This evening, if you need to become a Christian, we'd love for you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will save you. You believe in His name. You repent of your sins. You confess Him before men and be baptized. And if you're one of God's children and you've been walking in rebellion rather than humility, Why not return tonight as together we stand and sing?